This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to a special episode of the show. Last week, we welcomed an all-star panel to join us for a two-hour YouTube live event. Couldn't make it? That's okay, because we've got you covered right here. Today, we'll be teaching you how to restack your Benjamins with special guests, Senior Vice President, Retirement, Retirement Income in College for Fidelity Investments, Ken Hevert. And from TIAA, Director of Financial Planning, Shelly Ewica. And in our second hour, from T. Rowe Price, it's Josh Deitch, Head of Retirement Thought Leadership. And last but not least, the Director of Personal Finance for Morningstar and Senior Columnist for Morningstar.com, Christine Benz. But that's not all. We'll also get help with this discussion from the co-host of our Money with Friends show, Bobby Rebell, and the host of the award-winning Earn and Invest podcast, Doc G. And now, two guys who better get this show started, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Hey there, money nerds. Welcome to Stacking Your Benjamins Restack Edition. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and uh, we have a fantastic event for you tonight. I am super excited. So uh, before we uh, before we do anything, of course, we have uh, one person who was instrumental in putting this all together, and he's the man, the myth, the legend. Mr. OG, 
Dude, you didn't even wear your you didn't even wear your your uh your bag today. What's up with that? I can't hear you at all. There we go. You know, maybe I should do this once or twice and maybe not hit <laughs> hit mute. We did this. How you doing, OG? Fantastic. It's a great evening. Beautiful day. I have to tell you, there are more than two people here. So both listeners have a bunch no of friends. No Thank you very much for uh, bringing bunches of friends. Hey, we've got a great show. And I, I uh, you know, OG and I could sit here and mess around all day just chatting. But we have a lot of takeaways tonight. We've got a lot of people who are thinking one of a few things. Number one, what should I be paying attention to with my money? What should I maybe not be paying attention to? That's the first thing we're going to cover. Second thing is if I'm struggling, where do I go for money? Where do I maybe not go for money? We're going to cover that next. And then in the second hour, we're going to go specifically to your retirement accounts. What type of moves are people making with their 401k, with their retirement monies? And then we're going to talk about asset allocation, about uh, diversifying your investments. So, OG, you ready to do all that? Or should we bring in some reinforcements? I'm uh, pretty optimistic, but let's do reinforcements just to be safe. <laughs> maybe, maybe have some reinforcements. A few rules of the road, guys, before we get going here that I want to uh, cover. Number one, we have eight people doing uh, uh, bringing you this event tonight from all over the United States. Technology at some point is going to be an issue. I have no idea when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it will be. So just hang with us if for some reason technology bites us. So that's, that's number one. Number two questions, ask bunches of questions. We're going to take as many as we can. Unfortunately, we have a really packed schedule, but we're going to pick as many out as we can. Uh, our guests are great at taking your questions. They're all uh, experts at what they do and they are uh, willing and able to get to as many of those as we can in the next two hours. The uh, next thing, the third thing is you know, we have these guests on OG and I always get books to prepare and uh, I just can't keep them all. So we're going to give some of these books away. One of my favorite, well, well, my favorite uh, uh, book that's a, um, that is a uh, novel about finance, the cash machine. Uh, we're going to give this away. We're also going to give away a great guest was Ron, uh, 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 Romy Neustadt. Romy Neustadt says, you can have it all, but not at the same damn time. And nice. this is a fantastic motivational book. Uh, OG tells his kids that all the time. <laughs> no, I tell them they can have nothing. They can, they can have nothing all the time. That's what I tell them. Nothing and you'll like it. They might it. be watching. I don't know. They're pretty impressed that dad's a YouTube star. And with, then this uh, is a... Th this is a time. This is a time too, OG, that we know that uh, giving is really important. Um, and on Monday show, we had uh, Kimberly Putnam Walkerly had a or Chris uh, uh, Putnam Walkerly had a great interview with us about uh, people that give money and they think it's going to change the world. It doesn't. How to change that? It's a fantastic book. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. Gertrude is in the audience with us tonight. My mom's friend Gertrude, our room mother, and she has already picked out three random numbers for people that we take questions from. So if we take your question, uh, you'll be in line to get a book. And then we'll have Gertrude just tell us at the end of the night what the three numbers were, LG, or who the people were. And uh, we'll give those away at nine o'clock. You must be present to win. If you're not present, we give it to somebody else. I don't know. I'm making this up as we go. One thing I'm not isn't, making- Isn't that what we do? We've been doing <laughs> this for nine years. 
that is what we do. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should get this party started. We have uh, some great experts with us. Uh, first thing we're going to talk about tonight, guys, is is what should you be paying to attention to, and what should you not be paying attention to when it comes to your money? And how are people paying attention? How are people feeling when this comes? And we didn't do some statistics on that. A company did some statistics. Uh, I'm sure they were thinking about their appearance here. Uh, Ken Hever from Fidelity Investments joins us. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Joe. Hey, G. How you doing? Well, we're, we are great now that you're here to save this thing. So, so <laughs> let's talk about you guys. You guys actually uh, uh, fairly close to the start of this. I think you started getting the pulse of America, what people were paying attention to with their money. What did you find? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty it was pretty close. Just to kind of put that into context, um, you know, this thing started out as a public health crisis, right? In you know February, March. Uh, in March, the market um, really sold off pretty aggressively. We did the study in the early part of April, right? And so fast forward, we find ourselves in a situation where, um, you know, there's been a, a bit of a recession, a pullback in the economy, furloughs, layoffs. Um, and so in the course of 90 days, a lot, a lot has happened, okay? So when we did the study, we did it in, in the April timeframe after the sell-off. What we found, and not surprisingly, six out of 10 Americans uh, were really concerned about their finances um, and slightly more were concerned about their job security. You know, and I've been in this business for 30 years. I've been through a bunch of these. And when there's market volatility and then there's concern over your job. And so Americans are telling us they went from concerned about the stock market going up and down to concerns about uh, their personal finances. Um, but the good news is that people are starting to, uh, to do some really good things, uh, to, uh, to adjust to that. Let's talk about some of those things. Cause I saw in, in your study that people in different age groups are kind of going about looking at things differently. Can you address that a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, from a, from a generational standpoint, those that are most concerned about their finances are, uh, younger investors. Uh, those that are less concerned about their finances are, you know, kind of in the boomer category. They've done a lot of their saving. They're nearing retirement. Naturally, people who are nearing retirement or have retired are concerned about whether or not their money is going to last if something like this happened again. But the real concern is primarily, you know, among people who are just starting out. And that's where you've got a lot of competing goals. So, for example, if you look at the actions that uh, that millennials are taking, their top three actions are really focused on, uh, number one, making sure that they can get a really good handle on their spending. And many have said, you know, this has caused me to take a step back and and potentially um, delay some major purchases, whether it's buying a house, um, uh, taking a big vacation, but it's really about sort of taking stock of uh, what your priorities are in terms of how you're spending your money. Now, interestingly, as we've all seen, um, mortgage applications have been skyrocketing, right? So right. while people are saying, I'm going to hold off on buying a house, we have actually seen the demand for mortgages in, uh, in the housing market in certain areas, you know, really, really rocket. So, but it's the millennials are really saying, I'm going to take a step back, make sure I got my spending in check. Always been concerned about paying off debt. This makes it even more concerning, especially if they're worried about their job. And then just really trying to figure out, am I doing the right thing from an investing standpoint? 
it's it's interesting as i as i look at this you draw a a very big line between people that have a financial plan and people that don't when it comes to the stress of this time yeah there's no question so um again i've, I've been in this business for 3 decades i've seen a lot of this when if you go back to the 2008 crisis um i believe maybe one out of four people said that they had a financial plan now uh, 50% or more say they have a financial plan. So like that's huge in and of itself, having a plan, having a plan for short-term goals, intermediary goals, long-term goals, uh, is, is huge. The people who have a plan, um, number one, they have greater peace of mind. Um, they're more likely to have, uh, an emergency fund. They're more likely to only make, uh, some tweaks to their portfolio, less likely to pull out of the market, um, more likely to feel comfortable putting new money into the market. So the so having a plan um, really has created a much more confidence uh, for many more Americans than if you go back ten years ago. This means it's it's funny, OG. You and I talk about that weekly meeting with everybody involved. You know, uh, uh, if it's you and your spouse, you and your friend, right. whoever your your planning partner is, it seems like it seems like based on what Ken's saying, those those are more important than ever today. Well, I think when you know, like he said, when you're thinking about spending and when you're thinking about uh, uh, what's going on or what was going on anyway in April, you're looking at it from the perspective of everything counts. I mean, you're reevaluating every decision. Uh, you know, from obviously the big ticket items like spending on homes and vacations and things like that, but then also looking at little, little expenses, because what we also know is that all those little expenses add up to being big expenses. And uh, when things aren't going well, kind of everything is, everything's uh, on the table. Yeah, Ken? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, I think to that point, um, you know, uh, looking at all of your expenses, large ones, little ones, um, ultimately is what put, put people in a position to get after like probably the, the top two things they said they want to make sure that they can address and that they are taking action against. Number one, it's making sure that they've got an emergency fund, right? So, you know, those, those small expenditures, the nice to haves, all of those things that you kind of, you know, go after when, when times are great and you're not worried about, you know, job security, whatever, those are the types of you know dollars that you can put into an emergency fund. And oftentimes when we talk about emergency fund planning from a financial planning standpoint, I think the numbers that come out are really daunting, right? We talk about three to six months worth of living expenses. That's a lot of money. Um, it is not, it's, you know, inexpensive to live these days, but you know, we, we firmly believe that um, even just having some money aside for the unexpected really helps people um, feel a lot more confident. This is this is a time you're saying that when flexibility really, really having the ability to be flexible and move is is going to be really important. Yeah, I think I think flexibility. But you know what's interesting is like these these things hold true regardless of what's happening, you know, in the market in the economy, right? So if you take a step back and you just say, all right, this we're not going through this. Um, you should always make sure that you've got cash on hand for an emergency, right? Um, I think one of the ways we like to think about this is like you should have buckets of money, right? And, and if you bucket your money, if you have an emergency bucket of money, if you have money dedicated to a nearer term goal, and if you have money that's dedicated to your longer term goals, like saving for a house, saving for college, saving for retirement, what it enables you to do is 
take the risk that you need to on those longer term goals because you know that you've got the cushion in the in the near term. And then another bucket, and, and we've seen this quite a bit um, during uh, the last uh, couple of months, is there's an opportunistic button bucket, right? So the market sold off from its high in February to its low in March, um, 35% or something like that. We've seen more people and actually younger investors uh, buy than sell. The buy, the buy sell ratio um, among our individual investors at Fidelity Investments, um, you know, almost, you know, reached a, reached a high of almost uh, 1.7 uh, for younger investors. So when you have those different buckets of money, you can take the risk with the right money, take advantage of opportunities, but also know that you've got a safety net in place. But that's that's part of the problem is that when it comes to something like cash, it's super boring. And the process of accumulating cash is super boring and it's not exciting and you don't see a lot of returns, but you have to build that the right way. Otherwise, you don't have the opportunity to take advantage of those other things. You don't have the confidence to be able to do it. You don't have the resources to be able to do it. And uh, and it's like, but all my friends are doing this cool thing over here. I want to do that cool stuff. You get to do the cool stuff when you've got the basics taken care of. And almost all of us, I think, have experienced in the last three or four months how important it is to have that 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 little checkbox of three months of cash or six months of cash, even if you were only slightly affected by it, it still helped get you through it by having something as unsexy as just a bucket of cash sitting there earning, you know, one or two percent uh, uh, methodically. So one or two percent, one or two percent would be really good right now. I think one one and a quarter percent. <laughs> one and a tenth percent. Yeah, well, I mean that's the other. But that's the other challenge, though, right, is that, you know, we find ourselves you're kind of getting the, the sort of the double whammy, right, because interest rates have, you know, fallen to extremely low levels. Right. The Fed is looking at a zero to you know 0.25 percent Fed funds rate. So if you're trying to achieve your investing and savings goals by sitting in cash, it's, it's not going to work. If you're trying to achieve your you know saving and investing goals by you know, taking on a lot of risk and being, you know, too um, concentrated and too risky, um, you obviously take the risk of significant, um, you know, setbacks. So one of the things we found um, over the years, and we feel very strongly about this, is that it's, it's the it's the act of saving um, that that matters the most. How you invest uh, comes next, and in, in, in what type of account you invest in. Mm-hmm you know, is, is the next thing. Because if you look, if you stack those, like you're stacking your Benjamins, right? It's like, number one, you got to be, you have to be saving. And regardless of, you know, maybe it's boring, right? But if you don't save, you don't have the Benjamins in your emergency bucket. Same thing with like, you know, investing for retirement. The first step is you've got to save, right? So for example, um, the tax filing deadline was uh, moved out to July 15th. So just a reminder for people, like if you haven't filed yet, you got until the thanks, 15th. Thanks for the reminder. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. yeah not, I've got another not, month. Not, not that not that you guys are, you know, holding off. But um, the other thing, however, is uh, you also have an opportunity to put money into your IRA still for 2019. So saving, then investing, and the investing part really comes down to the right mix of stocks, bonds, and cash. So, yeah, I mean, you know, saving, saving for a rainy day can be boring, but it allows you to invest uh, for growth right. in your other buckets. 
I want to, before we open this up to a few questions, I'd like to, to uh, uh, start uh, uh, fielding some of the, the chat that we have going on uh, here. By the way, somebody asked how you ask questions. We can see your questions uh, in the chat window, and I'm just going to grab some. So uh, uh, ask away. And in just a couple seconds, uh, uh, we'll, we'll try to make Ken sweat. That's our goal is see if we can. I, I was going to say, I've got, I see one that's here that I'm kind of interested in, in, in his perspective on as he wets his whistle just in case, because uh, we're talking about cash. Glenn said, how many years, I, I know I have my perspective on this as an advisor, but how many years of spending should you have in in your kind of different buckets, let's say short-term, medium-term, long-term, as you get closer to retirement? Um, what have you seen at Fidelity as it relates to the successful investors that you guys deal with, some best practices that people can can think about as they close in on this financial sure. independence time? Yeah, exactly. So I think the first thing that we we really believe in is that you need to um, expect because of, you know, extended life expectancy that you could be in retirement for a good 20, 30 years. Right. Mm -hmm. So so um, maintaining an asset allocation that allows your money to grow is really, really, really important. Well, um, a method that has worked for people is. Um, is the um, is the idea of sort of creating five year buckets, right? So if you have you know the first five years of your living expenses in retirement, you know kind of available, um, less exposed to risk, that way you can you know allow the rest of your portfolio to continue to grow, right, and ultimately replace you know those five years. And so, in some cases, people really practice this whole idea of you know you. you create a five-year bucket, you spend it while you invest the rest, you create another five-year bucket, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, but, that, you know, essentially that's the, that's the idea. It's, it's, it's really those, for, those first five years that are the biggest change for people when it comes to uh, living, living in retirement. It's just, it's, there's a lot of uncertainties, you know, paychecks get smaller or they stop, um, you know, you, you, taxes become, you know, more of a, of a, uh, of an expense for you. Right. I mean, most of us are used to having taxes taken out of our mm -hmm. paycheck in retirement, you know, no taxes taken out. You got our stroke checks every, every quarter. So. I want to make sure we get to one more thing that I loved in your study, Ken, that I think puts a point on everything that you've been talking about, which is, and I'm just going to read it. We talk about making sure that you put together a plan and people think that you need to be very, versatile right now because of all the things and flexible. But I love the idea of having a dashboard that I can look at and I've got my goals right in front of me. But you guys in your research showed that you're more likely to have your three months in emergency savings, 50% of people with a plan versus 34% of people without a plan. I think I'm reading that right. Less mm -hmm. stressed about paying monthly bills, 35% uh, stressed versus 45% stressed uh, about bills if they don't have a plan. And I feel like a lot of people think like a, this idea of a financial plan plans for rich people, but, 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 but you need a plan to get from $1 to $2. I mean, if you don't have a job, you need a plan, uh, less likely to feel especially concerned about finances over the next six months. 35% of people are stressed about having enough money versus 42% without a plan. I mean, there's some, you, you guys have some very clear uh, peace of mind numbers when it comes to, uh, getting all those people on board and putting together your strategy. Yeah, I think these numbers are, are incredibly compelling when it comes to making the case for, you know, why you should take some time to put together a plan. 
And again, I referenced, you know, 10 years ago, I think it might've been one out of four people, right? So now we're up to 50%. It's gotta be, it's gotta be a lot higher, but the reason, you know, most people say they don't do it is because they, they don't know how, they don't understand it. It seems complex. Um, they'd rather spend more time, you know, planning a vacation than they would rather plan, you know, for, you know, their, their, their finances. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. and it's understandable, but you're, but you're exactly right. Financial planning is, is for everybody. Right. Everybody, no matter what stage of life you're in, you should be thinking about, you know, what are your goals? What are your objectives? And the components of a plan really don't change that much based on, you know, your your life stage. Your goals may change a little bit. You may find yourself in a situation at one point where you've got, you know, significantly competing demands. You're trying to pay, you know, pay up, pay a mortgage, save for college, save for retirement. Um, right. So there's a lot you're trying to figure out, like, which one of these do I go after? But, you know, having the plan in place allows you to be take some of the emotion out of it, I guess. Right. You, yeah. you, you the plan takes the emotion out and the plan takes the guesswork out. And um, and, and they're pretty they're pretty straightforward. I don't know if you guys looked at this uh, question here from uh, uh, Money Saver. Uh, are people really keeping to their plan? Any demographics on who's sticking to the plan and who's just chucking it? Um, there's, there's no difference by demographic. Um, what we are finding is that people who have a plan are sticking, are sticking with the plan. And, and, and what we're going through now, just like what we went through in 2008 is provoking more people to say, that's one of the things I'm going to do. It may not be the number one thing. Um, but it's certainly among, you know, the top five things people say they're going to do is to, you know, finally put a plan together so that they have a, a better handle on, you know, where their money is going, why they don't feel like they're, they're saving enough, et cetera. But listen, everybody's situation is, is really different. Oftentimes, you know, the questions I get all the time are, Hey, you know, is now is a good time to put money into the stock market? Or, you know, I've got, I've got some money, what should I invest it in? I mean, it always comes back to when do you need the money? How much risk are you willing to take, you know, in, in that money? And um, and do and, and do you have a plan that addresses the other goals that you have? This idea of when you need the money, I think, solves a lot. Uh, OG, we've talked about this on the show. Back when I was a financial planner, people would just say, I want more. And if you just, if, if you say you want more, you start chasing things. You just, but, but when you know exactly when you need a dollar, it's much easier to choose the right place for that money so that it, it, it's more likely to grow to meet the goal. And I think the other thing that I like about the commentary about having uh, some kind of plan about this is, is that it gives you like this disinterested third party that you can blame everything on. Oh, I'd love to, (laughs) but the plan says I can't. And it doesn't have to be something complicated. You know, our good friend, um, um, uh, uh, Carl Richards, right. Wrote the one page financial plan book. It doesn't, it can be on a notebook page or you can go get a 200 page one. It doesn't have to be complicated. You just want to kind of spend your money in advance and tell it what to do as opposed to you just letting it happen. Um, which I think, uh, which I think is ultimately, ultimately the message here, which is good. Um, uh, mm-hmm. This is actually funny. We, so mom's basement here is a walkout basement. And I just have to say that on the patio right here. I wish I could turn my computer. There's a deer staring in the window. <laughs> I, I was just going to say that that's, that's what's going on. Cause you, 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 you've definitely got the, Hey, my deer friend is back. There's seriously, is that, um, I wish I could turn is that the deer in the headlights. Is that yeah, the deer that's, in the headlights right. Show? that's right. Me getting hey, distracted. I, um, I've got one that I see here. A question. If you want to pay attention to your deer for a second, Joe, um, 
Uh, Sanjay asked the question, and, and I think you guys can help with this on the fidelity front. Any stats on how 401k contributions or new enrollments were impacted over the last three or four months with all of this nonsense? Um, that is a terrific, uh, terrific question. We've actually seen 401k uh, contributions um, increase significantly year over year over year. Excellent. And so, you know, I, I think I think that um, the message is getting out loud and clear that um, if you have access to an employer-based savings plan, and especially if the employer is offering some type of match. Now, I know that in times like this, some employers are making the decision, right, in order to continue to, you know, you know, operate to pull back on right. on matches. But, um, you know, people really see the value in uh, number one, automatic investing. Number two, if you get a match, it's great. But also the the ability to grow that money on a uh, tax deferred compounded basis and the ability to over that time horizon um, take a little more risk, you know, with your with your portfolio, not concentrated, but you know, in a more a more diversified way. But yeah, we've seen um, we've seen the contributions increase uh, meaningfully year over year. Well, good news. Ken, thanks a ton. We're going to bring Ken back here in just a few minutes uh, to answer questions, but we want to move on to another big issue that people have, which is there are a lot of people, OG, when you look at um, employment right now, uh, really, there's a lot of people hurting and wondering where they go for money. And so we want to make sure that we address that. And we have the woman here to do that for us from TIA, Director of Personal Finance. It's our friend, Shelly Ewika. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you this evening? I'm I'm so glad that you could join us because you've seen, you've seen just how many people, the statistics as much as we have, Shelly, this is a bad time for a lot of people. This is um, a a really challenging time for a lot of people. They're seeing their incomes go down. Some people are being laid off. You have a lot of people that are seeing furloughs or um, just general um, reduction in their income because, like you said earlier, their employees need to be the employers need to be able to continue to run their businesses. Let's let's start off specifically uh, because there's a lot of government programs out there. You know, people are confused by what's going on with the CARES Act. Kind of walk us through some of the programs that are available for people if they need some help right now. Well, I know that um, many of your listeners probably have heard already about the stimulus um, payments and also the expanded unemployment benefits. So I kind of really wanted to talk this evening about another temporary provision that the government has given us with the CARE Acts where you can actually get some money from your retirement accounts. And these provisions, um, they are very intriguing. And so some people may feel like this is the definite thing that they want to do right away. One um, temporary provision is that you can take up to $100,000 from your employer-sponsored retirement plan as a withdrawal and the other provision is that you may be able to also take out up to $100,000 of a loan from your retirement sponsored plan. And the withdrawal provision that I spoke about um, earlier, you can also take that from your IRA as well. Now, you said that we could take those from our 401k um, or an IRA. Could we take them from somebody else's 401k? <laughs> <laughs> 
because well. I prefer that. <laughs> that would be way better. Well, if you have um, if if you have a spouse and your spouse wants to do that, then <laughs> you, you know, yeah, that's between yeah, that the two is, of you. <laughs> that, that's a slippery slope, Shelly. Uh, but 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 I, can I seriously asked. She be, already said no. Oh, good for, good for her. <laughs> I can seriously see how some people would want to do that, though. And I'd imagine there's, though, there's significant downsides if you take that money. Well, I can see that, too. However, just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should. Um, There's a lot of things you need to think about. First of all, taking money from your retirement plan, whether it's through a distribution or from a loan, um, if you don't repay that, then that's money that has come out of your retirement plan. And that money is no longer working towards you meeting your retirement goal. And the closer you are to retirement, the less number of years you have to make up the time for replenishing that balance that you've taken out of your account. So I know that it's very tempting, but so what I would recommend is that you consider other options. Now, with the withdrawal option from the 401k, you do have up to three years to put that money back in. And so that may be very tempting for others, but I would really, really encourage people to explore other options first and make sure that you discuss your personal situation with your financial consultant and your tax and and legal advisor before you actually make that decision. Do you not like that idea because of the fact that you're giving up compounding and you're really kind of mortgaging the future for today? Is that the main reason you don't like it? Well, you can put it that way, that you are, the money's not working for you. You don't have it invested um, appropriately based on your risk tolerance and your time horizon. So it's currently not working for you. But the other thing is, is that there's other provisions that people may not have even considered or looked into before they start taking the money out of their account. And so that's why I'm saying, please look for other options. So you could look at um, if you're unemployed, make sure that you apply for unemployment benefits um, look at the other cash flow that might be available within your household. So like if your spouse is still working, um, see are, are, the, are there ways for y'all to cut expenses so that your spouse um, is income can cover those costs and look for alternative sources of income. So really, really try to look for ways to not have to take the money out of your retirement account so that it could still continue to work for you. Other things you can think of, is, and, and I was listening to the earlier conversation, is really pay attention to your expenses and see what can be cut. Because think about it. If you take the money out of your retirement account and you haven't even really tried to reduce your expenses, you're really impacting your retirement goal. And the one thing you can, you can borrow for a lot of things, but you cannot borrow to retire. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I keep trying to tell my kids that I can't, I can't, can't, can't borrow to retire or I'm just living at your house, kids. Right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they'll let you live with their house. I definitely want to walk through these just a little bit more, but, but because because I like all those ideas, I find that in in financial planning, people people uh, look at cutting expenses. But you talk about maybe trying to find other sources of income. This might be actually a blessing in disguise for some people, Shelley, to actually uh, look for other ways to make money or create multiple streams of income. Maybe start a side business. Exactly. Um, a lot of people, and you hear a lot of different. Um, things that people are doing. Um, We're very creative people of of ways to earn additional income. And I saw, I don't, I 
I didn't catch the name, but I did see someone talking about they were a door dasher. Oh yeah. Um, so that yeah. that's you know people are um, finding different ways to use the resources that they have or their skill set to earn additional money. Some people's hobbies can become um, money makers. Um, doing flower arrangements, or you might be good at work, um, dogs, um, doing a, being a dog walker, or you like gardening, but your neighbor, and you have plenty of neighbors who really don't. There's a lot of different um, skill sets that you might have that you can turn into making additional cash that would save you from having to go into your retirement account to cover some expenses. Rosie here has the best last name ever. Her name's Rosie Stacking Benjamins. Imagine that. And she found it's our long lost cousin, Rosie. Uh, my husband started a side gig during this time of buying broken mowers and other equipment, fixing and reselling, generate new revenue streams. I mean, that's, that's, that's super. That is a perfect, perfect example. Perfect example. Okay, okay. Let's talk about people though, Shelly, that are out of work and maybe have some debt, right? Uh, uh, what are, what's their recourse? Well, if you have debt, I I'm, I want you to be aware of a few points. One, do not be afraid to contact um, the companies that you owe. So contact your mortgage company, your credit card company. Even you might have some medical debts. Contact the, the medical providers and talk to them about your current situation. A lot of these um, organizations and companies are, are giving people a lot of room and helping them make payment plans or deferring payment plans because of the situation that we're in right now. So please, that's the first thing. Just pick up the phone, give them a call, say, this is my situation. What are my options? And a lot of companies are doing that right now. So definitely that's the first step. And whatever you agree to, whatever payment plan or deferral, it's extremely important that you stick to that, make that minimum payment because you need to protect your credit. It's extremely important. Um, I know it might be tempting now, and especially there's a lot of uh, stress with which bill should I pay? And you might say, well, the debt, I could always you know, get backed up on that. But I really encourage you to work on making that minimum payment because when you are back in the job, in the looking for a new job, some companies, they do, they run credit reports and when they're making hiring decisions. So you want to protect your credit. Uh, um, no, at, at what point then, well, I guess then what you're saying then is last, last step is, uh, would be if I run out of all options, that's when I finally go to the retirement money. If you have done everything you can, I mean, like everything, there's nothing else to do. And you have really reduced your expenses as much as possible. Then at that point, I'd say you've done all you can. Go ahead and you can. Um, that's what the provisions from the, Care, uh, the CARES Act is for, for you to be able to get to those assets with um, benefits of with the withdrawal. You don't have that 10 percent with early withdrawal penalty anymore and you have three years um, to pay the tax and also to be able to put it back in if your situation changes, not if, but when your situation changes, right. you'll be able to put that money back in within the three year period um, for the loan provision, which is my preference. Um, if you want to choose between one or the other, even though you could do both, but the loan provision, it's a pay, you have to pay it back. Right. And so that's why I prefer that because 
it comes as a loan, you have payments, it goes back into your account. And the risk of taking the withdrawal is that you don't pay it back. And we already spoke about that, how that can impact your retirement goal. So there's some things to think about with the loan that I wanted to bring up. One, the rate on the loan. And that's and this is if your employer's plan allows for the loan. The rate on the loan is probably lower than credit card rates, than personal loan rates. So it, it is something to consider. But there also may be fees associated with the loan. So be aware of those. And then you also, um, I'm, I want you to understand that the IRS does not extend any after-tax um, contribution status to the money you use to put to repay the loan. So when you finally take that money out in retirement, you will be taxed on that money again. And then one of the biggest points to take away from this is that if you do not repay the loan, if you default on that loan, then you will maybe subject to the tax and penalty at that point. Um, so I do prefer that loan because it kind of helps you get that money back into your account but you also have withdrawal options and are both depending on your own personal situation. Yeah. I like the fact that it makes it makes you feel from a behavioral standpoint, Shelly, I like the fact that with the loan that, uh, that, that you realize that you mortgage your future to some degree and you're, you're going to try to heal it. Right. I mean, I, I do feel like there are people that saw that you can take this money and they think, Oh, time for the new Xbox. And uh, definitely not what this is for. Right. That is not what it's for. Um, you really do need to think about your future and when you're going to want that financial independence, um, which is what I like to call retirement and having the ability to cover your expenses when you're no longer working is extremely important. So I, I really implore you to, if you do have to take that money out when your situation changes to put it back in within the three I mean, years. Really? Uh, yeah, you go ahead, OG. Sorry, I was going to say, you know, you think about this almost like it's an investment. You know, you're you're investing in either uh, new job skills or or you know, you've gone through everything in the house. You've cut all the expenses. You're you're really at the point where you're trying to literally put food on the table. The government has allowed different programs available that kind of that, that should allow you to feel that you're not doing anything wrong. If you've truly exhausted all opportunities, you're, 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 you're doing what you can, but this is, this is no different than uh, taking a loan out to go to school. You have to remember that this money has to get put back and it better get put back pretty quickly. Um, that needs to be the first money that goes back into the plan. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of with, uh, with, both of both of you as well. I I think the uh, the loan provision probably is is better for most people because it just it mandates it and it comes out of your paycheck and um, and and it's a little bit uh, easier to deal with. Well, let's go to these people then. Oh, did you have something? No, I was just gonna. One other point I wanted to make because I had talked about contacting your creditors to make provisions, but also consider um, organizations that might be assisting people like social organizations that might be assisting people with, you know, food banks, things like that, that you can take advantage of to reduce your expenses as well. Um, so I just wanted to add that point. 
It's uh, 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 Sanjay. I put this up a little while ago, but Sanjay said, uh, I contacted all my service providers like auto insurance and requested if there's any possibility of a discount. Almost everybody gave me some f- sort of, of a reduction. So, so, so stuff awesome. there. Exactly. Yeah, big messages, communication, just exactly tell people what's going on, follow through on what you say you're going to do. And, you know, Chase, if Chase has your mortgage and you're behind on payments, Chase does not want your house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jamie Dimon has his own house. He doesn't need yours. They would much <laughs> rather, you know, work something out with you. So just be, just be communicative. I think, I think um, maybe this time around, it seems anyway, uh, just kind of contrasting this versus um, the recession in 2008. In 2008, it was much more like, maybe it felt a little more shameful that something was going wrong. Like, ah, I probably shouldn't have bought that house or or I knew I, I should have figured out that the housing market was going to crash or whatever the case may be. Um, and so maybe there's a little bit more of a stigma around asking for support or asking for help or concessions. And and now for whatever reason, and maybe just because collectively we're all in this together, um, people think maybe maybe I will just ask for a little a little grace. That's all you're asking for is just a little grace to get you through the next two or three months. And hopefully, you know, everything goes back to normal, whatever that's supposed to mean, you know, yeah. but, uh, but be communicative with your, with your people. Shelly, you've seen these, you've seen these numbers. A ton of people have already taken money out of their retirement plans. And, you know, like I said earlier, maybe I'm a little cynical, but I think some people now are hearing you and going, I did that too soon. I should have looked other places first. If somebody's already taken money out, is there a best way to get it back in? Uh, That's a good point, Joe. Some people may have already taken the money out and now, like you said, their circumstances has changed or they they didn't, they didn't need the money like they thought they would. So my recommendation would be to put it back in as soon as possible. I know that the provision gives you three years to put it back in or um, you're, you're in a loan situation. A lot of companies allow you to pay that loan back um, sooner than the payment period. So put it back in as soon as possible because we talked about it earlier. We want that money working for you. You want that money in your investment in the in its investment so that it could be growing to help you meet that retirement goal. Um, so it's really that simple. Just get it back in there. ASAP, contact your employer or the company if you took the money out of IRA or the company that holds your IRA and ask how do I get the money back in? You might already know. Just go right ahead, pull the trigger, put it back as soon as possible. But you're going to have some people, Shelly, that want to play this game, right? They took the money out right as the market collapsed. They took it out at the bad moment because they thought, heck, the whole market's going to hell. So I might as well take it and use it for stuff today. Now, as you know, the market's marched back a ton. What do you say to those people that go, maybe I'll wait for it to go back down? Well, Please don't do that. Well, and the reason is <laughs> no. <laughs> She's being nice. The answer is no. And the reason is that's really called market timing, and you don't want to market time because when you when you do market time, you have to be right twice. You have to be right when you take it in, when you put it in, and when you take it out. And it's really not market timing. It's really time in the market. So you want to make sure that you put it in and let that money grow for you. Remember, retirement is basically long-term goal for most people. And even when you're at retirement, um, a, a lot of your retirement 
assets still need to be in some long-term investments. So just go ahead, put it back in and let your investments do the work for you. You're not just putting it in like y'all talked about earlier. You want to have a diversified diversified portfolio. So you're putting it in in that diversified portfolio that you've set up based on your risk tolerance and that time horizon. So don't wait. Don't try to time the market. Just go ahead, get it back in working to help you be able to meet your retirement goal. You know how OG said that uh, that Chase doesn't want your house. I like what George says here, though. He said, but they will chase you, though, for the payment. <laughs> but I'm bummed. Hold on. Can you hear this? Uh, nope. Hold on. Can you hear that? Here it is. Yeah. Yep. You're welcome. Joe's got, got a new toy, everybody. I got this new toy. <laughs> what, else, hey. what else does it do? <laughs> Go. We should have done that when you were talking about uh, taking money out, Shelly. Don't take the money out. Please don't do it. That's the one thing. Just, well, I mean, if you have to, you know, we talked about that. You're, you're at your last, this is your last option. But as soon as that situation changes, put it back in. The, uh, uh, we've got a few minutes. I want to get, I want to answer a few more of these. I want to go back to one that I think Deanna's here with us. Uh, I saw her. She said, um, to take to take money out, don't you have to be directly impacted by COVID-19 to do the withdrawal without penalty? Does it it it, it, it seems to me, Shelly, that um I mean it's it'd be fairly easy to say I was impacted by COVID-19. Well, part of the impact is that you or your spouse actually um get have the virus, but it also could be that you, you know, you were laid off, you were furloughed, um, you had to, your income was reduced. So that is also considered to be impacted because of the virus. So it's not just that you re- you got the virus. It could have been that you had some kind of financial impact because in primarily from job loss or job reduction that meets the eligibility requirements as well. Gotcha. Uh, uh, I'm looking, I had another one that was way back here when we were talking to Ken that I thought was perfect for you, Shelly. But there's 45 minutes of of comments on the, uh, on the YouTube chat. So it's hard to find. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alana had one that said, would it be more advantageous to pay down a mortgage refinance to get rid of PMI or continue or continue funding a brokerage account during this time? So if, 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 if we're not sure where our next money's coming from, Shelly, uh, which one of those options do you like better, paying down debt or keeping money in a cash spot? Well, I wouldn't call brokerage um, necessarily cash spot un- unless it's in a cash investment within the brokerage account. So if that money is your emergency money, um, it's your cash reserve, then go ahead and keep it there. But if it's money that you're investing for an additional goal, what is that goal? And is that goal a higher priority than paying off your mortgage? And so let's say that that goal is to, um, you know, pay for, help pay for your daughter's wedding. Um, Is that a higher priority than, you know, paying down your mortgage quicker because the PMI that money is not really going towards you or going towards paying down your debt. That's insurance that you're paying for the lender. So if that goal is not more important than paying that, paying off your mortgage, then it, it probably does make sense to go ahead and pay um, refinance to get rid of that PMI. Uh, uh, George talked about another way 
to make income. And I'm wondering, uh, between uh, Shelly, both you and OG, what about boosting your income with higher dividend paying stocks? So talking about people that um, might have a portfolio like AT&T, Verizon, uh, different companies like that. OG? Well, I was okay, gonna say, go Shelly's like, uh, I don't want well, this one. You can handle it. Waiting for the other Rock, paper, scissors for it. <laughs> well, well, go ahead, OG, if you want, but I'll, I'll add to it if you want. Well, sure. Uh, here's my perspective on it. I think that ultimately people look at dividends and forget that that's just a, 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 a repayment of, of, uh, profits of the organization. And if you're a, if you're a shareholder of a company, you could, or, or a controlling person of a company and you make profits in your organization, you've got to decide what to do with those profits. And sometimes companies will put that money back into the organization in order to convert it to future earnings down the line. And sometimes they'll issue that, that, that profit as a dividend. And, and what we see sometimes I can't say all the time, but but a lot of times is that companies that have traditionally a higher dividend will maybe have a lower growth rate because they're not reinvesting as much of their profits back into growing the organization. Whereas a company that has maybe a lower dividend may have a higher uh, capital appreciation. So I personally think that if you add up all the return of the S&P and say dividends plus capital gains, it doesn't matter where you take the money from. If you take it from your capital gains, Fine. If you take it for, if you have stocks that pay high dividends, fine. It's all the same return. That's kind of my perspective on the matter. Um, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Joe. No, no. After you. No, I was going to say that it's a very individualized, personal question, and um, I really like the way OG um, handled that question. I feel like people really need to look at their individual circumstance and determine, you know, it. The retirement income planning options are vast and many, and to that is not um, what we would call one of those guaranteed income options that you really should make sure that you have enough to cover your um, non-discretionary expenses from. And so before I even get to, to an answer of should I get more dividend-paying stocks to um, get more income, I would want to know what are your other income sources and income options before we even get there? Yeah. Uh, uh, we just brought Ken back. Ken, welcome back to the show. Uh, Ken, you. by the way, uh, uh, people have been talking, and 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 I was talking about this yesterday with you, Shelley, about how awesome the artwork is behind you. But what people don't know is that Ken also has a guitar f- uh behind him and uh he's promised that right after nine o'clock he's gonna do a guitar solo for us so no guitar solo anything anything you guys want to hear right maybe we can start the chat uh with the uh, with the guests and what they want to hear if this goes bad truth truth be told truth be told i'm 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 a drummer who's learning how to play guitar while i'm working from home so all i do is i I turn my i'm actually i'm literally sitting on a drum stool right now because i find it to be the most comfortable um in my work from home office so all i got to do is turn around pick up my guitar and i'm working on that um you can tell you know yeah go ahead i was gonna say like interesting conversation around you know like the the dividend question and um and i and i and i think you know all the perspectives you guys shared is is great i mean our simple perspective is 
if your if your goal is to build wealth over time, reinvest the dividends, right? Let them let them go back in, right? It's it's just it's a great way to to build more build more shares, build more leverage, build build wealth. If you're looking for cash flow, um, you know, dividend generating stocks is is an option for you, right? Um, and so I think that you know it's kind of a, a simple rule of thumb to add to what both you know uh, Shelley and OG were were saying. Uh, uh, Shelly, one more thing here, and Ken, I don't know if you want to weigh in on this also, but Kara had a point, which is she talked about the mortgage forbearance that we've heard a lot about, that there's a provision where you can have mortgage forbearance three months added to the to the loan. And actually, Kara, it isn't to the end of the loan. My understanding is you may have to pay it back right away. Uh, but she says, seems like a bad idea to inform my credit union I've been laid off, so I haven't applied for this. I have several months savings. You guys agree that the mortgage forbearance thing is also... Last, uh, last, last case, uh, Shelly, what do you think? If you have the money to pay your debts, I would say absolutely don't, you know, don't forbear, go ahead and do them as you know, your mortgages, because in all the forbearance options, you, that interest is still growing on, um, the account for your mortgages. So you definitely want to continue making the payments. If you have the, like you said, you have, cause I'm reading it here, you have several months of savings. So you definitely want to continue making those payments if you can afford to make them. Uh, uh, Ken, about 500 people just said this. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I thought they would have said more cowbell. There That's you right. go. Yes. More cowbell. That'll yeah. be my part of the when we when we have the stacking Benjamins band, I'll be yeah. the cowbell guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's talk about resources that, that both of you guys have available in the last five minutes that we have here. Uh, Ken, since you were up first, let's talk about fidelity and maybe you guys have some resources that can help people. Sure. Well, you know, I, I was scanning, uh, I was scanning, you know, people's uh, questions and I, I would say like one of the first things is that um, you should never hesitate to pick up the phone and call in a, call an advisor, right? I mean, at, at Fidelity, you don't have to have an account with us. You don't have to have investments with us. You don't have to have a 401k. Um, we're, we're there 24 seven. Um, so if you've got questions you want to start talking about, I noticed there are a lot of questions around, like, how do we get started with a plan? Give us a call. Um, you don't have to be a customer. You don't have to have money with us. Um, and uh, we'd love to, you know, kind of, you know, at least be a sounding board and help you get started. Um, for the more kind of do-it-yourself person who wants to go onto a website or use your mobile phone, um, we've created uh, the Fidelity COVID-19 Resource Center, and it actually covers a lot of ground. It covers everything from a lot of what what Shelley was talking about in terms of the CARES Act. What are the rules? Uh, what do you have to be careful about? It also provides a lot of information regarding market volatility. And then some much of what we were talking about earlier in terms of taking a step back and revisiting your goals and just really trying to simplify things. Um, I also noticed a number of questions around, should I do this or should I do that? Right. And so, you know, we've got some basic rules of thumb around what we call like a savings hierarchy, right, to put you in a solid position. Emergency fund first, paying off debt second participate in a 401k if you have access to one get the match etc right and then and then you kind of build build from there so two things uh you know we're always here for you uh call call fidelity um but you could also go to fidelity.com and um and uh, visit our uh covid19 resource center and shelly i know at tia you guys also have a ton of resources there 
Yes, we absolutely do. You can hit um, go to our website, TIAA.org, and the, on our website, we have a lot of similar resources that like Kevin is talking about, um, you can get in contact with advisors there as well or consultants. And we have a lot of self-help tools and a lot of um, articles that you can read about a lot of different financial planning topics are available on our own. So you can go right to our site, click on advice and pick the area that you want to talk up. Do you read about savings and investments, retirement, and you get a lot of answers to a lot of these questions that you're asking at the moment on the call as well. It, it, I've I've been on both of your sites, and I, I I love the calculators that you have there too, guys. They're just the ability to put together a financial plan now, and and at least begin the discussion about where you are. I really I, I really like that. Um, for, for for both of you, and I guess we'll go ladies first here, uh, since we went to Ken first last time. Shelly, biggest biggest takeaway for our audience tonight from uh, this first hour, from your perspective. Um, I did. Joe, there was one um, question that I just remember that I saw a, a long time ago. Someone was asking, how do I get a plan started? And yeah, that yeah. was a really good question. So if you go to um, TIA.org, you can go in and you can set up to um, have a call with a financial consultant and they can help you get a plan started. Um, so that's one way to do it. Um, is really just like like Kevin had talked about, really getting on the phone or getting on the website if you really are a self-help type of person and be able to go there. And that'll give you information exactly how to get your plan started. Um, one takeaway that I wanted to point out, and so I know we're running out of time, is make sure don't... Um, don't hesitate in asking for help with all the resources that are available out to you out there today because of because everybody is being affected um, by what we're going through. People working from home, um, those who are fortunate to still have jobs and a lot of resources are available. So please do not hesitate to ask for help. Awesome. And uh, Ken, uh, biggest uh, takeaway for our audience from your perspective this hour? Uh, well, I would just like to underscore a couple of things that Shelly said, uh, which is, you know, number one, trying to time the market is, um, is, is not a way to success. I did some really, really quick math um, from, from, the, from the peak of the market uh, on February 19th that, you know, just looking at the S&P um, to, the, to the bottom uh, on March 23rd, um, the market came down 34%. Since the bottom to the close today, it's back up 39%. It's trying to, the, the, the key is returns come in, returns come in chunks, right? And if, and if your goal is to, and I know you're kind of thinking like, the, how does that math work? It does. Um, uh, um, the, the, um, the key is um, if you're, if you want to build a nest egg, you've got to stay true to that goal. You've got to continue to, to save. And so, as Shelley pointed out, timing the market is, um, is is something you really want to try to avoid. Well, Shelley and Ken, thanks a ton for making the first hour awesome. Shelley, you're looking at me like, I got one more. I'm sorry. I do have one last thing I wanted to say. The lady who had talked about her mortgage, um, she did put in there that her mortgage company wanted to put the payments to the end of the loan. That was her offer. And she said she didn't know she wanted to let them know that she was unemployed. She had plenty of savings. So I do want to alter my answer just a touch. If you are unemployed right now, 
in your credit unions offering you not to add any more money to your loan, but to basically they're they're letting you defer it in, in basically how you're describing it. You may want to look into that option so that you can use that cash to hold on to until you can find another job. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I like that much better if it's at the end of the loan. But man, for a lot of these, they're making it so that you have to pay it right away. And that, that gets rid of the efficacy. I mean, if, it, okay, I get three months and then I got to pay it all back right now. That's horrible. But at the end, I think that's, that's great. Shelly and Ken, thanks for making the first hour of this awesome. I really appreciate your help and all you guys do. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome and a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having us. Have a great uh, afternoon. Good evening. Yeah, and we'll have uh, guitar solo time later, I guess. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, oh gee, that was a really fun first hour. But wait, there's more, man. But wait, there's more. Yes, I sir. Know. We have another hour coming up. Uh, the first hour, uh, for those of you that joined late, we we talked a lot about making sure that you're paying attention to the right stuff. And then uh, what if you're in trouble? The second hour, we're going to talk more specifically about retirement and investments. So um, stick around because we're going to be talking about that next. And to help us we have a couple people, OG, that uh, you and I work with every day. First of all, my co-host on the Money with Friends podcast, it's our good friend, Bobby Rebell, joining us. How are you? I'm good. I want to send virtual high fives to both of you guys for doing such a great job. I mean, well, thank it easy, but still. Thank you very much. And I don't know about, uh, about you, uh, OG. Can you, can you hear Bobby very well? I a little quiet. Yeah, little you, quiet, yeah, you are definitely quiet. Let me, let me adjust that. I there you are. Little, I made it a little quiet because I've got a tape recorder going here. We, we always have a lot of checks and balances here. So I wanted to make sure that uh, it didn't pick up any extra noise. So I was. I, I want to know, is it really a tape recorder? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can tell how Your old we are when Bobby said tape, tape recorder. recorder. <laughs> Joe's mom sent it to me. They were cleaning up. It's like, it's, it's like that meme that has a cassette tape and a pencil. That's and it says, if you know what to do with these two things. Yep, that's how we do it here. Yep, that's right. <laughs> uh, uh, Bobby, you and I do the Money with Friends podcast. Uh, for people that don't know that show that we do, you, do you want to do the honors and explain to people about our show over there? Yeah, we do the show six days a week. It's Joe and I a couple days a week, but we also have a whole cast of thought leaders that represent different points of view and come at the news um, in different ways. And every show we discuss something money related that is topical and uh we do it similar to the way that we're recording this show with a live audience comments questions that we take and uh it's a lot of fun it is it, it's a ton of fun and because we have people from very diverse backgrounds and starting points every show is something completely different which makes it a good time and speaking of different a guy that's just a horrible segue <laughs> the host of the earn it event the host of the Earn and Invest podcast, Doc G, is here. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing great. I know I'm bullying you all over right now by wearing a collared shirt. Something I, Joe makes fun of my t-shirts all the time. I was so surprised when I saw you in a collared shirt. I thought the world was ending. Yeah, that's why I'm bathed in light, as you can see here, too, to give that collared shirt the aura that it requires. <laughs> since I tried to wear it. a tuxedo, but Joe wouldn't let me. <laughs> all you need now is a halo. That's all, that's all you need now. <laughs> you, you just can't see it. It's, it's up here somewhere. 
So it's funny, both of it, but both of your shows guys are kind of offshoots of pieces of the Stacking Benjamin show. Uh, uh, the well, Money with Friends kind of takes our headlines, and that's what we do all the time on Money with Friends. Earn and invest uh, for people that like our Friday roundtable. Your show is is half the time uh, once a week. Uh, Doc is roundtables. Yeah, we like the deep dive, which means diverse conversations with multiple panelists. And so we really like to take one idea and look at it from a bunch of different sides. So it ends up being a really fun conversation and hopefully introduces topics in a different way than people are expecting. Awesome. Well, uh, OG and I are going to hand over the reins to you for our number two. We'll be back at the end, all four of us together to talk about our wrap up, but guys have fun with our guest in the second hour. Bobby, I love how we're getting rid of the old fogies so that you and I can now talk about retirement. I feel, well, I feel like they've handed us the candy store and now what will really happen? Mm, I don't know. Um, well, actually, no, we have, we have amazing guests. We have um, Josh Deach is coming on first, and we're going to, I'll just sneak peek, we're going to have also Christine Benz is on, who's um, with Morningstar. So let's first get to Josh, though. Um, can we bring him on? Well, for well, you know what's funny is for some reason backstage, I don't see Josh anymore. Josh was here, okay. and, and now we don't see Here he comes. He's, he's coming back. We knew that technology was going to get us a little bit here. Here he is. All right. And uh, here's Josh. Hey, Josh, welcome. Oh, we don't hear you, I don't think. We are seeing you, but we're not hearing you. And I think, were we set up? I don't know about this, Doc G. I was about to say, the first hour went way too smooth way for us all of a sudden to have technical difficulties. I know Joe, is, Joe just wants to make sure he looks good. Exactly, exactly. Let's see if we can get Josh's microphone going. Okay. No, we're still not hearing you. And as he's getting settled, you know, it's an interesting idea of talking about retirement right now while we're really concentrated on getting through the beginnings of what we think could be a more long-term recession. Retirement isn't always the first thing on our mind, but maybe it should be. I think that it should always be in our minds. And I think it was interesting earlier that Ken was talking about the fact that the millennials were the ones that seemed to be the most concerned about the long-term investment outlook versus the people that were closer to retirement. I'm actually really impressed because I have to tell you, when I was first getting into the workplace, yes. it yep, we hear you now. It was Great not start. the first thing on my mind. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, I am happy that I put anything in retire in my retirement savings account in my first job at CNPC back then. And I didn't really understand what it was about. We have Josh Deach. Now, are we saying your last name correctly, Josh? I've been called worse. It's Deitch. And I wouldn't have said anything, but I saw my parent, one of my parents names scroll on the public listing. Oh so. my goodness. Well, I, well, welcome. Um, and how wonderful to have them with us. So let's do a few humble brags for you. You're a vice president at T. Rowe Price. You're the group manager for the retirement thought leadership uh, with global brand marketing. And you lead a team of researchers and writers who create retirement thought leadership, workplace retirement, intermediate, inter- institutional businesses, and so on. What we're excited to talk to you about is the data that you have and all the analytics that you have that are going to tell us what is actually happening. Because in the first hour, we were talking with Shelly and with Ken about 
their advice, how to deal with what's going on and what's, what people should be doing. Now we're going to find out what people actually are doing because you've done a lot of research on this. We kind of headlined this segment, my friends, Retirement Savings Behavior, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So tell us what you have found, our friend Josh. So it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, we heard in the first hour, um, you know, a lot of people are, are facing challenges. It, it, it is, you know, we're someplace where many of us have never been before. I mean, I've been through three or four significant market downturns in my career. Um, and this is the first time I'm worried, um, you know, about the value of my human capital, AKA my job and my health. That's different. Um, and so, you know, we, we do have some, some markers to look back to most, you know, recently the global financial crisis. So we, we do see, you know, um, you know, a little bit of mixed signals um, so far, because the people that we primarily deal with are in retirement plans. Um, so if you're already in a retirement plan, you are better off than most to begin with, because you are actually saving for retirement. That's a good thing. Um, and, you know, COVID comes along and, you know, Congress like very swiftly acts. And um, the the woman from TIA, um, you know, spoke about, you know, the CARES provisions. Um, and so, you know, there's a couple of ways of looking at this. Um, you know, the first thing you would think is, well, are people um, not saving? And by and large, what we've seen is that among the, the 2 million or so participants that we record keep, less than 3% to date have um, stopped contributing to their retirement plans. So that would, you know, sort of include people that lost their jobs or people that, you know, maybe had some sort of financial difficulty in their house um, that, you know, they just had to, you know, sort of tighten the reins and needed to put, um, you know, that, that, that money to, to other use. We have seen cumulatively, though, um, roughly 5% have decreased their savings. So um, they are still in a position to save, but they, they, they sort of had to pull back. The next thing that you sort of want to take a look at is what have they done with their investments? Um, because we know going back to the global financial crisis, roughly 20% of people, we do an annual like retirement and savings survey. We asked them just two years ago what they were called doing back during the global financial crisis. And roughly um, 20% said that they either took a loan or a distribution. Um, well, we also asked them, did you trade from a, um, a risky investment like equities to something safer? And roughly, you know, again, about 20%. Well, so far, um, what we're seeing is that trading activity is not that significant. Um, but there's some key differences. And the differences are largely a function of how people invest in retirement plans today is markedly different 
than it was over 10 years ago because of the Pension Protection Act. Nowadays, a majority of, I'm sorry. Go on. I was going to say a majority of people have been defaulted into their plan into a default investment fund in the form of a target date fund. So among those that are solely invested in a target date fund, less than 2% have actually traded um, over the last three and a half months. However, if they have no money in a target date fund, that number increases to almost 10%. And that's really concerning for the simple fact, um, and this point was brought up um, on the, the prior segment, those people, we don't know for sure, but they may be trying to time the market. Mm. And one of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, that we saw back in the global financial crisis is that those that were most likely to go from you know, equities to something safer tended to have the largest account balances. Um, so we can, we can sort of um, posit that they got freaked out by the dollar value of their losses. Like if you've got, you know, a million, you know, arguably, if you've got a million dollars and you're close to retirement, and um, as the, the, the gentleman from Fidelity pointed out, the market overall went down, the S&P went down 34% at its lowest point, your date, like that's Matthew. $340,000 is a lot of invested. Whoa, pull back the reins. But it's it's actually the absolute worst thing to do because if you have time on your side, what difference does it make? I wanted to pick up on um, the idea of what you found with respect to um, the distributions because that's another thing that Shelly was talking about is people taking money out of their accounts. What did you find in terms of the characteristics and the profile of a person that was taking more money out versus less? Yeah, that 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 if we just go with the headline, the headline is you know basically three percent of our participants have taken a loan or distribution, um, but I think that sort of misses the the bigger story, which is there are certain sectors of the economy that have been hurt really deeply, and so and you then look at those sectors versus other sectors. And you see that, you know, there's concentration. And then you look at the behavior um, of those that are actually having to take those distributions. And um, it's concerning because they're people in their mid-40s and they're going to take a loan or more likely than not, they're actually taking either a hardship if their plan didn't adopt the CARES provisions or they're taking a coronavirus-related distribution, and here they are, they're in their mid-40s, um, chances are best intentions, but that money's not coming back. And it's so difficult to catch up, even if you intend to. Because if you think about it this way, all savings is is deferred consumption. So if you want to catch up, what are you going to give up to do that? And Maybe you catch up on the savings, but you've lost the compounded earnings. Josh, I want to put an exclamation point on that. So you're finding that the extremes, the younger people and the millennials, as well as the baby boomers, are not taking distributions nearly as much as that kind of middle group in their 40s. 
Yeah, and it, it, it it's actually it's pretty straightforward. Why, you know, I, I I use myself as a focus group of one, like, and I'm a little over, you know, I'm a little past my mid forties, but like life is never going to be more expensive. You know, you you have a house, you have a family, um, you know, you have a lot of obligations, you have a lifestyle, and um, it just hits you all at once. On, on a slightly different note, I saw this, I did some student research on student loan debt recently. And, you know, I saw um, Xers like myself who, you know, had re- any, if they had residual student loan debt, maybe from grad school, you know, they, they, they had like debts that were following them and expenses that they were moving towards when they were thinking about, you know, putting their own kids through school. So life is never more expensive than when, you know, you're arguably, you know, 40 to the early 50s. We are recording this in front of a live audience here on YouTube. And I do want to take at least one or two questions from our audience before we have to um, bring in our next guest. We have um, Sanjay here. Um, he says, apart from compensation, what is the biggest factor, age, gender, et cetera, that has an impact on people's decision to enroll or contribute in a 401k? I'll give you an answer that might be a little different than what you, you're expecting. Um, if, you're, if your employer auto-enrolls, your employer is the biggest factor um, because they've made the decision for you. Um, they said it's a good thing to participate in a plan. They said this is a good, um, you know, savings rate to use. And they said this is, a, a, you know, an appropriate default investment to invest in. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think, you know, for a large, for, for a large <clears throat> segment of the population, their employer made that decision and then they worked to, um, reinforce that it's a good decision. Um, in terms of like actual impact, um, I would say for those who, who um, are not, um, you know, whose employers don't use those Pension Protection Act features like auto enrollment, it's just general financial literacy. I mean, retirement is a, is, is a, gr- saving for retirement is a grind. Slow and steady is going to win the race. Um, and the sooner you start, like I, I didn't start till I was in my late twenties and I didn't start saving in earnest till I was in my early thirties. And I regret the decisions I made when I was early, when I was younger, because I would have had those compounded earnings on the savings. When, when I first bought my first house, I took a distribution. So those are all missed opportunities. You start early, you win. This idea of automatic enrollment, it's really interesting because it probably also explains some of your other data about variability and about taking distributions, too. It seems like a lot of young people today had their money automatically enrolled and so are not really thinking about that as even money that they own, right? We get a lot of young people who say they move jobs and forget to even think about what to do with their 401k. Yeah, in some ways, in some ways that's, a good, that's actually a good thing. It would be better if they were cognizant of it and, and were a little bit more active in, 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 in managing that. But, you know, to the extent that it stays invested, 
over the long run, again, they, they win. Let's get in one last question from Thomas. Are there any other nudges that research has found are beneficial for people to save more? Yeah, absolutely. So similar to um, auto-enrollment, escalation. Some employers actually set it so that when you're automatically enrolled, you actually increase your savings each year. And the recently passed, everyone, the, there was big legislation passed at the beginning of the year called the SECURE Act. But because of um, coronavirus we've, and CARES, we've all forgotten about it. But the SECURE Act actually allowed employers to significantly increase the levels that they could automatically escalate um, your savings each year to coincide, you know, either with the calendar or, or, or salary reviews or whatever, whatever, um, you know, sort of milestone you, you, you want to focus on. Um, but even with employers that don't do that as a default, you can always choose to do, if your employer supports the feature, you can always choose to do that on your own. And you don't even have to think about it. And let's face it, if you increase your savings 1% every year, you're probably not even going to notice. Except when you retire and you have a really nice cash pile. A better point. Very well said. Thank you so much. We're going to ask you to stand by because we want you to rejoin us. Um, we're going to take a quick break and go to our, ne- from Josh, I should say, and go to our next guest. So uh, I'll toss it to you, Doc G. <laughs> So we are going to be talking about rebalancing and asset allocation with Christine Benz. She is the Director of Personal Finance for Morningstar and a Senior Columnist for Morningstar.com. And Christine, I was amazingly impressed to see that Barron's named you to its inaugural list of 100 Most Influential Women in Finance. That's pretty darn impressive. Well, thank you. I was amazed too, um, but, it, but it was really exciting. There were some amazing women who I respect so much on that list and many more who weren't on that list who I think will be on future lists. So yeah, it was a great thrill for me and my family. Well, part of what got you on that list is some of the great writing you've done. And one of the topics you talk about a lot is rebalancing. And we wanted to talk about that today because we think it's really important. And I really want to kind of, you know, bring this down to the most basic. Before we get into the more complex conversation, just explain to us what is rebalancing and why is it important? Sure. So rebalancing assumes that you have some target for your portfolio's mix of stocks and bonds and cash. And so you're sort of operating with that target and you may move it a little bit as time goes by. And most of us get more conservative as we get closer to needing our money. But the idea with rebalancing is that if you don't do anything to your portfolio's allocation, so you might start out with the best of intentions and say, okay, my portfolio is allocated here. What happens is that things move around. And usually what happens is that the most aggressive securities take up a bigger and bigger share of your portfolio as time goes by. So that stocks over time, typically, which outperform other asset classes. And so if you don't do anything, what you end up with is a portfolio that's more volatile and riskier, and that may not be what you want. 
And, you know, it's interesting because the, the research about rebalancing really points to its main benefit being in the realm of risk reduction. So it won't help you usually on the return front, but it does help take volatility out of your portfolio. And that tends to get more important to us as we get older. Maybe when we're younger, we can tolerate a very equity-heavy portfolio. But as we get older, we start to not want things to slash around, not quite so much. It's interesting that you say that when we hear people talk about rebalancing, they love to talk about increased returns, or at least that's what they think they're going to be getting out of it. So it's it's kind of cool to hear you say the other side, which I think is just as important, if not more, is that reducing volatility, especially, I'm sure, as you get closer and closer to retirement is important. It is. And, you know, it's also important to note that there's just not one kind of rebalancing. The most common type of rebalancing, though, is that if I have this asset allocation target, so a desired mix of stocks and bonds and cash, um, that type of rebalancing is the type that is most commonly used. And it's also the type that's associated with lowering volatility and and maybe even taking the edge off returns a little bit. There are other types of rebalancing. So you can look at your portfolio's investment style exposure. So how much you have in small stocks, how much you have in larger stocks, value versus growth, international versus U.S. You can do rebalancing at that level. And there's been less research on that type of rebalancing. But my hunch is that that's the type of rebalancing that's perhaps going to lead to higher returns over time because the idea is that you're moving into lower valued sub-asset classes And that would tend to be associated with higher returns. What is the best way to actually execute this kind of strategy? Do you have to work with a financial advisor? Is this something that robo-advisors can do well? Good question. And so there are a number of ways to do it. Certainly a financial advisor would have this sort of at the top of the dashboard if he or she is helping you with your financial plan. And the other nice thing about working with a financial advisor is that you would have a customized asset allocation target to start with. So that person would be looking at what you specifically have going on in your life and would be able to help craft an asset allocation framework that really makes sense for your own situation. But certainly robo-advisors do rebalancing like this. And and for you as an investor, that works in a very hands-off way. But investors can also do this on their own. So if they are using, um, you know, sort of a brokerage platform, they can just look at their portfolio's asset allocation. And I like our Morningstar tool, which is called X-Ray for kind of getting a a view of your total portfolio's asset allocation. But you could do that and then periodically do that rebalancing yourself. The important point there, though, uh, Bobby, is that it's, it's really crucial to bear in mind that this isn't necessarily free. So unless you're engaging in rebalancing in tax-sheltered accounts, in your 401k, in your IRA, um, you may incur taxes if you do rebalancing because you're selling your most depreciated securities. So generally speaking, you want to concentrate your rebalancing activities in the accounts where you won't pay taxes as you do your trading. It's an important point. And it's also worth noting, if you own a target date fund, so if you're being super minimalist and just just owning a target date fund, that rebalancing happens internally for you, um, which is another feather in the cap of these all-in-one type products. A lot of people I was going to... Sorry, go ahead. 
I was going to ask you about the timing of rebalancing and when we should do it, but you brought up an important point, especially if you're in a taxable account, there are consequences to rebalancing. Maybe the timing has to do when you're putting more money into those accounts. For instance, if you are contributing to your 401k, that's a good time to start looking at your current balance and if it needs to be changed. That's right. I, I think for most people, a good once annual review of their portfolios allocations is plenty. And at that same time, you can re- review your contribution rate. Um, you can check your beneficiary designations, do all that good portfolio hygiene stuff. Less is more when it comes to making changes in your portfolio. As uh, you referenced, Doc, I like the idea of using new contributions to rebalance, and that's a nice tax-efficient way to do rebalancing. So rather than selling anything, you might just say, well, if I am low on foreign stocks, for example, I rather than peeling back U.S. and adding to foreign, maybe I'll just increase my contribution to foreign stocks, and that over time will tend to boost your allocation there. So there are a few ways to go about it. Chris was mentioning in our comments this idea of if you do the once a year annual, which you were talking about, should we reconsider rebalancing when crazy things happen? Like right now, the pandemic or recession. And I think this is a good general question is, is it a good time to rebalance when you're going through unexpected events or during market downturns? Well, generally speaking, I would say not because, you know, we th- that was an incredibly scary period, that sort of late February through late March period where, um, you know, not only did you have so much volatility in the market, you just had so much uncertainty in the overall environment where, you know, we were all concerned about our health, we were wiping off our groceries, we still do- are doing that. Um, so generally speaking, I think it's best to avoid doing rebalancing amid those big market fluctuations. And the really interesting thing is that generally speaking, portfolios are very slow moving ships. So even when you have major dislocations like we had back in the spring, if you had a fairly balanced portfolio, yeah, it might have taken your allocation to equities from 60% down to 52 or something like that. But, you know, it's definitely not something that you need to add to to make changes and address right in the midst of the turmoil. I think you can safely wait until things have calmed down, see how the dust has settled, and decide what to do from there. Are there any common missteps or any myths out there that people often make that you can warn people not to do? I know some people think when they invest in an index fund that they're getting diversification when, in fact, an an index fund may be very heavily weighted in, in one area. Well, that's a great one. Um, and certainly we've seen this explosion of passive products. And, you know, it's it's funny, I began my career at Morningstar as kind of a fund researcher, um, studying actively managed funds. And there are certainly some great ones, but increasingly I've gravitated to passive products. Um, but it's interesting when you look at this explosion of niche products in the passive space, some of the, the thematic funds that have come online or the sector-specific funds that have come online are very concentrated in individual holdings. So even though you can safely buy a broad total market index fund 
understand and, and know that you're getting broad ranging exposure to all of the stocks in the U.S. economy. If you if you fine tune it more and you're buying more narrowly focused investments, that's not necessarily buying you diversification. So that's certainly one myth that's out there. Another one that's been top of mind for me recently um, has been this idea that foreign stocks will always underperform U.S. And we've seen, speaking of um, different asset classes perform differently, we've seen foreign stocks really underperform U.S. over the past decade. But these things really move in cycles. And so I think for younger investors who are interested in kind of optimizing their portfolios for future results, that's one thing I'd look at. They probably don't need to around with holding too much in bonds, too much in cash apart from what they need for liquid reserves. But I would really look at their allocation to foreign stocks relative to U.S. When you think about sort of the global market capitalization, foreign stocks are, are less than half of the total global market cap. Most of us don't have any anywhere near that much of our total equity allocations in foreign stocks. So I'd take a look at that because foreign stocks won't underperform forever, I promise you. You mentioned the once a year rebalancing. Let's get a little more granular on how exactly you do it. And in fact, Rosie Stacking Benjamins asks, is there an easy way to rebalance without digging into all the details? I don't recall a rebalance button or option. How do we go about doing this? How granularly do we get? How much do we need to know to rebalance appropriately? So I think you do have to have a view of your total portfolio's current asset allocation. And, and here again, I would call attention to this X free x-ray functionality on Morningstar.com that's part of our portfolio manager. It's a way to get a view of your portfolio's actual asset allocation. So what the tool does is that it drills into the holdings in your portfolio. Say you have an actively managed large cap growth fund, for example. Well, it drills into that and says, well, actually that that large cap growth fund has a sizable share of mid caps. It's got 10% in foreign stocks. So it actually gives you a true picture of your portfolio's asset allocation. So start there, use our tool or use another tool to get your arms around your your portfolio's total asset class exposure, and then make sure that you have that target allocation. Um, I would say that's mission critical, no matter what you're doing with your portfolio, have some asset allocation framework that makes sense for you, given what you have going on in your life, and then just compare the two. And so if you have been hands-off for a while now, and and certainly the great market environment that prevailed for the better part of the past decade made that really, really easy. But if you have just kind of been letting things ride for the past decade, and meanwhile, you're 10 years older and you're getting closer to retirement, take a look at where you stand relative to that target. Um, And here again, I would call up target date funds as being a really good quick and dirty view of what are professional asset allocators recommending for people like me, people at my life stage. That's a good shortcut if you have no idea where to start with respect to asset allocation. And TDAS asks in the comments, should you consider things outside your brokerage account uh, when looking at your asset allocation and rebalancing? 
Good question. And, and I think it really depends on what you're trying to do and what, what you have the funds earmarked for. But a, a lot of us have little pools of money here and there, all of which is geared toward our retirements. So my idea, my thought would be to bundle them all together when you're trying to get a read on your total portfolio's asset allocation. So round it all up. Uh, round up your spouse's accounts, assuming that you uh, you and your partner are saving for retirement together. And my hope is you are. Round it all up and take a look at that total portfolio's asset allocation. You'll also potentially be comforted by the size of that aggregate balance versus looking at all these little onesie accounts. Round it all up and look at all to look at it all together if you possibly can. And this all makes me think that it can become quite complicated. You've mentioned some tools, but it does also beg the question, is this something the dabbler can do? Is this someone something that the self-investor who spends an hour or two a month looking at their investments, are they capable of doing such a thing? Or is this something really you should work with with a financial advisor? Well, I guess it depends on how engaged you are. I, I think life stage is absolutely crucial in this discussion. So for young accumulators, less is more in terms of monkeying around with your portfolio. Generally speaking, if you're you know under 40, gosh, under 50 even, I think you can safely run with a very hefty allocation to stocks because you know, look at the facts on lower risk securities today. Yields are very, very low. So to to the extent that you have investments in them and you're young and you have that long time horizon, those drag on your portfolio's return. So keep keep your hands off, keep your mitts out of your portfolio. You don't probably don't need to engage in a lot of rebalancing. On the other hand, I think this becomes more important as you get closer to retirement. And this is something that I think is really under discussed is just how valuable rebalancing can be in retirement. Because again, we have this era of very low yields where you've got income centric retirees who are looking at yields of one, two, three percent potentially. It's not enough to provide them with the cash flows that they need in retirement. The nice thing about rebalancing is that you can use it as part of your cash flow toolkit. So maybe you can, you know, harvest your portfolio's organically generated yields, but not go out of your way to reach for income producing securities. But periodically, once annually, take a look at that portfolio and just see where things are. So at the end of 2019, for example, you'd be looking at your portfolio. It was a great year for the equity market, not a bad year for bonds, but great year for stocks. Pre-pandemic, you probably would have been doing some stripping back of the equities. You could plow that money into cash that sets you up for your cash flows in the year ahead. I think it's just a really terrific way to broaden out your sources of cash flow in retirement above and beyond the income generation that's happening in your portfolio. Yields are so low today. You need to do something else. Money saver here in our audience has a great point, um, saying you have to um, look at the whole portfolio, which includes 401k, Roth, IRA, brokerage, HSA, which is health savings account, which is relatively new. You don't just rebalance a single account type, correct? I mean, you can't just say, well, this each bucket is not separate. It's your total picture. 
Such a good point, Bobby. So you want to pick your spots, but look at the total portfolio in aggregate. Again, focus on those tax-sheltered accounts when determining where to rebalance. Generally speaking, if you have company retirement plan plan assets, that'd be your most painless way to rebalance and that it's very easy to adjust those allocations. You're typically specifying that you're putting X percentage in this fund and that fund. And so it's very easy to move those allocations around. And usually you have an opportunity to do rebalancing either on your existing portfolio, so where you're holding stand today, and also where you want your future allocations to go. So I think that's probably the best place to start if you're working that maybe where most of your assets are anyway. If you've been a job hopper, chances are you've got most of your money in an IRA and you'll need to do your rebalancing there. But definitely concentrate your energies in those tax-sheltered accounts. But look at the whole thing when deciding whether your asset allocation makes sense. We're going to be bringing Josh back in a moment, but you mentioned that especially in retirement, rebalancing can be very important. Are there other um, markers, times in life, or ages in which you should change your rebalancing habit either more or less frequently? I think in those pre-retirement years, that's a good time to get in the habit of doing a once annual rebalancing or at least a good once annual thorough checkup on your portfolio. And the other good thing is that in addition to checking your portfolio, you can also do kind of a wellness check to see if that portfolio is on track. Those years, um, sort of the empty nest years when maybe kids have uh gone through college and and you and your spouse are are still working, those can be terrific years to accelerate your savings rate. So I would really concentrate on on rebalancing and portfolio hygiene at that that life stage, age 50 and beyond. And um, it's also worth noting that this is an age where people sometimes encounter unexpected job loss. Um, and it can be difficult to replace that high paying job. The most re- remunerative jobs um, can be difficult to replace. So you want to start looking at your portfolio with an eye toward, well, what would I do if I encountered emergency income disruption late in life? And so you want to think about setting aside some assets in safer securities to protect yourself if you happen to encounter such a situation or a health event or something that derails you from continuing to work earlier than you expected to. So we've been talking about first the data behind distributions and retirement accounts and then rebalancing. Josh, welcome back. Let's look at this globally. What effect do you think this pandemic and recession is going to have on retirement savings long term? We call this restacking, Benjamins. There was a great pause and now we're resetting. What is going to be the long term effects, do you think, on people saving for retirement? Well, I'd be I'd be lying if I if I knew um, precisely. <laughs> you mean you don't know? What do you mean? What does the data tell us? Yeah, well, there is there are some there are some good um, you know data points out there. The Employee Benefits Research Institute um, did some estimates very early on, and they do a calculation that is sort of like what's the savings deficit in aggregate, and they thought that maybe it could add 
um, you know, another three or four percent in aggregate to the total. But hey, guess what? The market came back thirty plus percent in the in the, the next you know two weeks. I, I think the big the bigger issue, and this was raised earlier, is job loss, and whether or not that causes people to dip into savings at precisely the time that they can least afford it. Because the problem with retirement um, for many people is their own longevity. And it's really difficult um, to self-insure against longevity. Um, And so that's where I think the most uncertainty is um, for many people. And I know Christine brought up just a moment ago the importance of having emergency savings um, because just as saving for retirement is a critically important behavior, saving having some cash on the side for the unknown is equally as critical because that can prevent you from having to do the very things that you just don't want to have to do um, when it's the worst time to, in fact, do it. Christine, now as things are this volatile, we've talked about job loss. Is this a good time to rebalance to a higher allocation in cash? Possibly so. I mean, we we do see, as Josh said, people have a problem with this emergency fund thing. And I was thinking about it the other night. I was thinking this is a, a sort of a thing to do that has no natural advocates like the banks barely make any money on these accounts, you know, especially with yields as low as they are. Um, investment providers, um, you know, don't have an incentive to to tout money market accounts or low yielding savings accounts. So um, I think that that's partly why people let this go by the wayside and don't create uh, these rainy day funds. And, you know, again, you're not incentivized in any way in contrast with your 401k plan where you get matching contributions and other benefits. So um, I do think that everyone should be taking a look at the adequacy of the emergency fund we're seeing in stark relief during this crisis, just as we saw during the last one, where people really struggle with right-sizing these rainy day funds. And I think that this is increasingly important as you've got more and more folks who are contract workers, gig economy workers who aren't even in an employer setting. It's much easier. Those positions are much more ephemeral. Um, So it's all the more important that folks in that situation have an additional cushion. And then, you know, for people getting close to retirement who think that they might retire within the next couple of years, I think it's perfectly reasonable to think about having perhaps one to two years worth of living expenses above and beyond what you'll get from Social Security and a pension if you're lucky enough to have one. You might think about setting aside those funds in highly liquid reserves and then additional assets, of course, in in fixed income assets for your retirement plan. Um, So I do think it's a good good time to revisit it. The crisis is a good wake-up call. Yeah, yeah, a couple of quick points to, to that. Um, We do an annual survey, as I mentioned earlier, and we ask people about their emergency savings, their sources of of liquidity, and over 40% year after year, number one answer, it's like family feud, credit cards. And, you know, it's just the, the danger in that is it could be worse. What if it's like the global financial crisis 
and the credit card issuer starts pulling the credit line. And then you ha- you really have nothing. And to Christine's point about the liquidity in the early years of retirement, when the market goes south, that liquidity can prevent you from having to sell securities when it's the absolute worst time to sell securities. And so that can give you an additional layer of safety to not have to do the things that you shouldn't want to do or shouldn't do. Before we run out of time, I want to make sure to give you both an opportunity and to give our audience the opportunity to hear about some of the resources that you may have available for people to follow up with. I can tackle that. I mentioned um, I work on Morningstar.com, which is our website for individual investors. Much of the data, all the articles are free. Um, So I would urge people to check that out. I usually write a couple of columns a week, um, mainly around retirement planning. And I do a lot of videos. I also work on a podcast called The Long View with my colleague, Jeff Patak. So those are just a couple of resources uh, that Morningstar has to offer. And Josh, if people want to look at the actual data that you were talking about earlier, is there a place they can go and look at the raw numbers? If you go to the T-Row Price and go to the research that we're doing on retirement investors, um, that's certainly available there. If you want more individual um, guidance from some of our really skilled planners, you can go to our individual investor website where um, there's some really good ideas on ways that you can think about retirement savings from our our two key planners, Judy Ward and and Roger Young. And Christine, biggest takeaway from this conversation, what can we do to help protect our future, our retirement savings, especially in these kind of crazy times we're living through right now? I would say for young investors, just uh, don't peak. As Vanguard founder Jack Bogle said, you know, the less you do with your portfolio, the better, assuming that you have a sane allocation mix. And then get a little bit more serious about being slightly more hands-on if you are older than age 50 and make sure that you have an allocation to safe securities. That'll buy you a lot of peace of mind. And then it'll also buy you some protection against retiring into a bad market and needing to invade stocks, which is what Josh just talked about. And Josh, your biggest takeaway from this last hour? Yeah, it's, a, it's sort of a, a slightly uh, different variation of what Christine just said. But I recently wrote a blog um, on my LinkedIn profile um, about a metaphor of skiing um, with investing for retirement. And when I ski, I don't look at my skis. I look at the horizon um, because that's where I'm going to go. And when I invest, I don't look at my account every day. Actually, I do, but um, but I don't dwell on it. I think about where I want to go with the portfolio. And that's um, that's probably the best advice that I can offer. All right. Well, Josh and Christine, thank you for being on and helping us navigate these what feel like unprecedented times. And yet, I feel like you've given us very clear information on how to move forward. Bobby, it almost seems like people are doing better than I expected they would. Well, let's hope so. I always take the optimistic view when I co-host shows with Joe, who I think we're going to hear from. 
uh, in just a few minutes. But uh, yeah, I think that people are are doing okay. And I think the fact that the market came back from what was a very tumultuous March is giving people confidence to do what a lot of our panelists have said to do, to stick to your plans, make sure you're well prepared with asset allocation, don't fall into the traps that can, you know, pull you in if you get too overly emotional. And of course, just because something is available, as we talked about with Shelly and with Ken earlier, like you can access retirement money, doesn't mean that you should. So I think that's been really <laughs> beneficial. And I'm optimistic about how people behaved. And I think that Josh's data really points it to some, some really good results as well. And young people seem to have it together, from what I can tell. They're automatically enrolling in their 401ks, they're getting into the target funds, and they're not touching them. And on that note, I do want to point out that it, as part of the, the study, which I guess everyone can get from Josh, um, there is a lot of optimism about uh, financial education and people deciding to really be proactive and educate themselves and, and take action in the right ways in terms of things like asset allocation, but not in terms of things like churning stocks. And I just wanted to mention, again, you can find Josh Deach at T. Rowe Price and Christine Benz at Morningstar and Morningstar.com. Thank you both for being with us. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So if you guys are lucky, we may get a Joe and an OG back, but I'm not sure. <laughs> well. Such a great night. So much good information. I think we're making uh, Josh and Christine do overtime here. <laughs> they get to be on longer than they thought they were going to be. Yeah, oh, there he they is. Great, though. They were so <laughs> wonderful. And um, our audience has just been really supportive of everything going on and loving what they were both saying and loving what, what Ken and Shelly had to say earlier as well. I'm going to bring, uh, I'm going to bring OG on in just a second, guys, but I, uh, I, I want to show, um, because what Christine talked about, the tool that she talked about, the x-ray, I really like that tool as well. I mean, all four of these companies have such great tools to use, but I did pull up this x-ray and, um, you can see from this that, uh, you put in your funds and you can really see, uh, how you're, and I just put one fund in. But but this is uh, this is the uh, uh, an S and P five hundred fund, so it's going to be you know ninety five percent United States. But it shows everything about your fund. Actually, I take that back. It's a fund called the Spyglass uh, Growth Institutional Class Shares. Not a fund that I that I really know. But anyway, um, so many great tools that all these companies have, and that's that's just one that that Morningstar tool I use I use quite often. But let's get let's get OG back here, and uh, we will finish up the evening um guys great job in that second hour that was that was that was really interesting og uh this this the idea that i come away with and OG, i think i'll start with you is that while while maybe the events are different than the last downturns that we've been through it it sure feels like the advice is the same yeah i you know i i've been saying this over the last couple of months, you know, right now we are living all of this kind of day to day and every day it's a new kick in the face. Uh, and some days a little less of a kick in the face, but, but just like it was in 2008, for those of us who experienced that or the recession that happened after nine 11 and kind of prior to that and, and leading into that as well. Right now we think of those events as simply bullet points. Oh yeah. The recession that happened during 2000, the Y2K stuff, or a bullet point of the 2008 recession. And eventually this will be a bullet point as well, once we're through it. 
the hard part is every day we see new information that's like, uh, you know, and it's, and it's not super fun to, to live with, but, but on the backside of it, it always ends the exact same way. So there is no such thing as this time is different. Um, it may take longer or maybe shorter, maybe faster, maybe steeper, but, uh, but on the other side of this, it will just be a bullet point, thankfully in the, in the collective lifetimes of us all. And, and, you know, we just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other regardless. So keep on keeping on. Yeah. Bobby, what, what, what was your biggest uh, kind of takeaway from tonight? I think that it's important that we take action when appropriate and no action when not appropriate. So like an action point right now for everyone, and I believe it was Ken that said this, was not only did the tax deadline move, but your deadline to contribute to your retirement funds, whatever it is that you are focused on, whether it's a 401k with a big employer or you have an IRA or you can do Roth IRAs, whatever it may be, you have more time to make that choice. So you should do that. If, assuming it fits into your strategy and you can afford it, find a way to afford it. Really try because that's the best way to be saving and then lay off the money. That's where you don't take action. After you've done the action of putting it away and proper asset allocation, of course, as Christine taught us, stick, just stick to it. Yeah, I like it. From the- well, and it's funny when you talk about doing that, you know, I mean, we started off tonight with how much better people feel if they have a plan, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's no time like right now to just sit down and it doesn't have to be perfect. Like OG, you said earlier, our friend Carl Richards at the New York Times, uh, put it on a napkin. It can be one page. Yep. It doesn't have to be something super dramatic. Uh, Doc, how about you? What was your big takeaway tonight? My big takeaway is optimism. Look, I think our young people are starting to really get it. And I think the rules are the same as the rules have always been. Yes, the details have changed. Yes, there's new legislation because of COVID. But it's still the same. It's make money, save money, budget, put away money for retirement. Don't touch that money once you put it away for retirement. Do the best you can. And this is time-treasured financial advice. And it's really nice to get a group of four experts together and have them tell us that we are not crazy, that these feel like different times, but the advice is still solid. We need to take care of our financial house and we know how to do this. And I think we can get through it by being smart. And I just, you know, appreciate all that great input of what we should do. Yeah. I remember, uh, back when this all started in the, in the, um, in the first couple of weeks, somebody gave us this uh, critique that, you know, we're, we're just talking about the same fundamentals. At that point, I thought, oh, gee, that we could just ignore it because the fundamentals are and always have been important no matter what the downturn is. Uh, turns out that this went a little longer than we might have thought. And so we, we, we maybe needed to, to, to address uh, why the fundamentals matter. Well, I don't think that we actually missed the mark there because – during the most chaotic times, uh, uh, <laughs> either either on purpose or or by accident, uh, we kind of didn't pay it any attention, which is which is probably what you should do, and that's what you know everybody said today too. Is is there's things to pay attention to and things to not pay attention to the daily price fluctuations of of Hertz or uh, insert whatever stock you want to you know think about. It doesn't matter, you know, where it's going to be in 20 years from now. That's, that's what matters. And the only thing you can control out of any of this 
is whether or not you put money away, like Doc said. I mean, it's if you if you you can have the best asset allocation in the world, you can have the best stock picking in the world, but if you don't put any money away, it doesn't matter. So uh do the stuff that you can control and focus on the other stuff later. I like P Flyer right here. We got this, everything will eventually be okay. Her yep. mom says this 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 too shall pass. Uh uh Thanks for that, Dylan. Uh, I have to do this. So I think it's probably time to land this plane, guys. <laughs> there you go. I don't mind. <laughs> we had to have one. Uh, uh, we do have some winners. Uh, Gertrude uh, in, has told me who the, who, who the winners are. So I'm not surprised because he contributed a ton. But uh, this, this book, uh, 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 the Cash Machine uh, by Dave Mason, heck of a guy, very great novel about financial independence. And this is going to Sanjay. So uh, Sanjay, congratulations. Uh, uh, Sanjay, it's a great book. Great book. Yep. Sanjay did, uh, did uh, I got that one. Sanjay says, oh, gee, looks pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I didn't get it. You know, I was, I was really hoping that maybe I contributed the most today and therefore I would get the book. But uh yeah. So, uh, Sanjay, it's, uh, it's Gertrude at stackybedjamins.com. Get her your information and she's going to get this to you. And then let me see what we've got next. Uh, next is, uh, 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 Elena, uh, St. Clair gets, uh, Elena can have it all or Alana can have it all. Just not at the same damn time. Alana, you can't have it all at the same damn time, but, but Alana's taking that one home. And then I think, uh, uh, oh, oh, and then, uh, Thomas, Thomas Burns, uh, Thomas is getting uh, delusional altruism story about giving and, um, and, and this is something good, uh, uh, Bobby, that you and I have talked about a little bit on money with friends about just, this is a time when, man, we, we need to remember our community and be out there in the community and giving is so important now. Ta-da. Ta-da. All right. I think we did it, guys. Uh, we have anything else over here? Thank you so much, everybody. Bobby, what's coming up uh, next on Money with Friends? Oh, gosh, Joe. You do this all the time. You put me on the spot. And now I have to think through we'll because we're recording first. this differently from when the audio is going out. And I just that's, don't – I'm that, so lost with the calendar at this point because well, let's you're do on this. vacation and we're filming everything out of order. <laughs> I have Let's no do idea this. what's coming up, but every show is better than the last. That's all <laughs> that's I'm going to exact, tell you. That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, that's it. Money with Friends, uh, Monday through Saturday. We have shows there and and, and eight uh, distinct uh, and diverse thought leaders uh, with us. People from all, all different points of view. Moneywithfriendspodcast.com. Very well yes. said. Thank you. We have socials too. At Money Friends Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Nice, nice job. Doc, <laughs> what's happening at Earn and Invest? Before I do that, I just want to point out that the reason the calendar is all screwed up is because of you, Joe. Just remember that. Yes. <laughs> it's all your fault. is the case. <laughs> the, the three of us who work with you. I'm just, I'm not saying anything here. I'm just. <laughs> just all right. So head. on Earn and Invest tomorrow, we are dropping an episode with Tanya Hester about fighting injustice as a non-person of color. We do a deep dive on what's been going on 
and what we can do about it. It's a great conversation. We actually captured the video as well as the audio. So the audio will be coming out tomorrow. I will not tell you when the video is coming out, but it will come out soon. Uh, uh, I want to put Phil up here. Just got here. <laughs> <laughs> That's your best part, anyway. You, you didn't. You didn't miss anything. Don't worry about it, buddy. Just as we, just as we went, and 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 by the way, uh, uh, glad you could make it for the goodbye, uh, Philip. Yeah. The uh, uh, the resources. Re- we do have a resource page that Richie and our team created. Here is the link of uh, for everything. Actually, that one's wrong. It is. This one right here. It's there, all falling apart. There we go. Yes. We were, we were moving so, so well. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash YouTube dash live. I think Joe uh, should get a vacation. Well, Philip says, can't wait to hear about my vacation. Anybody want to see my slides from Bavaria? Yeah, <laughs> no. <that's right>. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. On that note, uh, OG, what do we got coming up? We, we, this is on the Monday feed this week. We're going to talk about the same thing that Bobby did. I don't have any idea. <laughs> recording so much. I can't keep track of what's what. But I, I know it's on the Monday show. Come on. <laughs> we do six. Yeah. That's great. All right, guys. Uh, Take it easy. I'm Beth, Bobby, Doc, OG. I'm Joe. Uh, thanks to all our contributors. Thanks to all you for hanging out. We really appreciate it. Uh, go stack some Benjamins, everybody. Go restack some Benjamins. Bye bye. Good night. Special thanks to Ken Hevert from Fidelity, Shelly Ellica from TIAA, Josh Deitch from TIAA, and Christine Benz from Morningstar. You can learn more about our special guests by heading to our special show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com slash YouTube live. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter, at SBenjamin'sCast, or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on Happy Days. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Wait, just one question. How did this event happen without me? I mean, really? That's why you sent me to the store for spare blinker fluid? Which I couldn't even find, by the way. You just, you were trying to get me out of the house? Not cool, guys. Not cool. I went to three stores. So how do you not do uh, dessert? Well, uh, that's true. <laughs>
<laughs> Last time I had to come back, though, we were still live, so we still may be live. Right. <laughs> That's okay. people here's chat. Well, anyway, <laughs> I, I appreciate I'm going to press stop on our recorder here. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers navy federal our members are the mission navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender